All right, you don't want to miss this broadcast, and you'll want to listen to the very end. Today, I'm speaking with Leah Oglesby. She's a coach, but not just any coach. She specializes in teens and tweens and their parents. Leah reveals the number one most important thing to teens. She talks about what to do when your teen's not happy and what to do when your teen lies to you and so, so, so much more. The interesting thing about teens is that because they haven't become as skilled as adults are at camouflaging their feelings, there's so much to learn from them. And so whether you have kids or not, oh my gosh, you are going to learn so much about yourself. Wait until you get a load of this. All right, let's jump in. You've heard of unconditional love. But have you heard of the secret to unconditional happiness and allowing more into your life? More wealth, more success, and more love. More freedom in your life right now. Welcome to The Happy Bar with Israel Savage. Today, I'm with Leah Oglesby. She is a coach working with teen and tween girls and the parents who love them. How are you, Leah? I'm good. How are you? (laughs) So good to see you. I would love to hear a little bit about your own experience as a teen and tween and how that might inform the way that you work. That's a really interesting question for the (laughs) main fact that people don't usually ask me about my teenhood. I am the youngest of 11 children. Oh my gosh. So I had the pleasure of kind of growing up as the observer Mm -hmm. and seeing what happened when my teen and tween older siblings get into the things that they would get into. And with a family that large, you have a lot of love, a lot of chaos, a lot of mess, but a lot of victories. And Every political view, every religious view, every viewpoint on drugs and alcohol. We had the people who didn't touch it and the people who delved right in and (laughs) said, let's explore. And the relationship between that and how it affected the two people you love the most as a child, your mom and dad. I think I definitely grew up as kind of a compassionate kid. And when I would see my mom worry as a little kid, you don't want your mom to worry And so as a teen and tween, I was very much a rules follower, Mm -hmm. but it made me a very anxious kid and it made me a people pleaser. I was most comfortable with the elderly in church and visiting the nursing home for my grandparents and stuff. And I was less comfortable with just my peer group. I had to kind of live up to the reputation of either my straight A sister or my rebellious brother, <laughs> you know, depending on who knew what for who. The phrase I remember in the seventh grade, the thing, the straw that broke the camel's back where I just couldn't just not take it anymore is there, it became popular to say, oh, that's an Oglesby for you. 
Oh. <laughs> and I really wanted my own identity. I really wanted to be known for not my family, just me. I had skills, I had talents, and I really wanted to belong to the class of friends more so than the reputation of my older siblings. So it all started like that. <laughs> I, I would say I was a goody two-shoes. And I reaped the bullying because of it. But I came up from small town America that there's only 47 kids in my class. And we had been together since kindergarten. And we're still kind of all together via the internet. (laughs) My mom, it was very straightforward and honest and not very like crazy, crazy, but definitely supportive and patient. And she says, just tell them. And so I was able to express as a seventh grader, like, stop it. That hurt my feelings. And because we were a close class, they listened. I think they were really surprised that I even spoke up. I was really lucky in today's day and age where schools are larger and the financial standing of every family is different it can be hard to be the kid whose family is the single mom working two jobs and she can't sign her kid up for dance class or sports. You can't just take sports anymore and have it not cost you anything. Everything costs at least a hundred dollars mm-hmm. in public schools. Everything costs, even school supplies costs just to send your kids to public school to be the family that is in need and not get the benefit of all the outside lessons and the relationships that come from that, you can instantly enter school feeling like an outsider. What do you think is top of mind for teens and tweens? What are they concerned about in general? Oh, relationships. I know that. For a mm. fact, it's like I have a 13-year-old, I have a 10-year-old. and mm-hmm. the- Oh, I do too. <laughs> Let's get together. <laughs> the biggest topic of conversation is I don't feel like I have enough friends or I don't feel I have the right friends with one of my other teens that's outside of my family is signing up for an ROTC course, she's 14. And I said, really, that's interesting. Why, why are you doing it? And she says, well, a parent was in the service and they said, if you join the ROTC, it builds stronger relationships. Mm. She says the relationships that I have in school are very hit and miss. It's like Mm. your friend one day, they're not your friend the next day. Whereas if you work together in a training and a strengthening, they promise that you build these lifelong relationships Mm -hmm. and it will help her get into the schools in the future. She's 14 and already thinking college and it looks good. So you get in, Mm -hmm. but mostly what I heard when she spoke, it will give her relationships that will be lifelong. That's, that's her desire. Yeah. It's it's interesting because although teens and tweens are cut from a similar cloth. They are very different in a lot of ways. And especially for the teens, navigating those social relationships are challenging. It's new. The stakes seem higher. As we give our kids more freedom, when they come home from their time out, we can fail to question them about how things went. Mm-hmm. What was the best thing about it? What was the worst thing about it? Would you want to go again? Mm-hmm. And there's sometimes my daughter will ask to go somewhere because her friend wants her to go somewhere. Mm-hmm. But I can tell in her heart she wants me to say no. 
And I was like, if you don't want to go, say I said no. You can see the internal conflict. A teen doesn't want to say no, but also doesn't want to say yes. And so as a parent, just being savvy enough to offer an out, you can always say, you have my permission. It's not lying because you ha- it's a standard agreement that we have. You can always say that I said no, and I'll take the heat for that. Yeah, yeah. I think it is comforting for them. I feel like the biggest compliment a parent could get from a child Mm-hmm. especially a teen or a tween is when they come down and say, what are you doing? I just want to hang out with you. <laughs> you're, all, you're like, right. <laughs> <laughs> and that's something we really try to foster in our home is where the four of us are kind of together in the same room, not even necessarily doing the same thing, but we kind of like to make sure that we're spending physical time together. If relationships is one of the more important things, and that covers a lot of ground, that's relationships with their peers, with their teachers, with themselves, with us as parents. If relationships is really their focus as a parent, what do you think are the two, three biggest tips that you can give a parent on how to help them navigate that relationship minefield as a team? Self-esteem is like number one. Anything that you can help bring the teen or tween to a realization of the gifts that they hold inside themselves Mm -hmm. and help them to really focus on what they really want and why they really want it. It's not what they really want as much as like why they want it, what they're really seeking. And with that, the tip would be to make sure that what's being input into that child's mind are things that build up, are things that strengthen, are things that point out what their special gifts are. I think it's very important to that every child you have knows the feeling you had when they were first born. The first time I ever held you, I had no idea I could love something as much. It's like you are still that same person 14 years later. When I look at you, I get overwhelmed at how much I love you. If a teen is breaking the rules, nine times out of 10, it's because they aren't getting an emotional need met. If you ever meet someone who has their emotional needs met, you just love being around them because they're there to give. But if you have the kid who's like kicking the back of your chair, he has an emotional need that isn't being met. If the behavior doesn't feel good, then there's a person behind the behavior that's not feeling good. Mm-hmm. If we experience the behavior is not good feeling behavior. I'm thinking of a, a time when my daughter, this wasn't too long ago, was putting my son down for something that he, he wasn't strong at. Maybe it was a sport or maybe it was something else. And so she was putting him down in a way that seemed mean for her and it didn't build up. And my first reaction inside was protect and I wanted to lash out at my daughter. How could you? How could you say that? Or how could you say that? But I happened to have the wherewithal on that day to take a breath and zoom out and take a bigger look at the picture and think to myself, okay, if she's saying these things that are uncharacteristic of her, then there must be something underneath that. Let me give her what I want her to give my son, which is to build her up. Let me give her that because she is calling out for that for some reason. And so as parents, especially, we're flying blind half the time and we try this and we try that. We're like, ah. Uh, And so I, I said to her, I know how hard it must be to be 
13 and to be at school. And I know you probably go all day long and people speak to you the way that you just spoke to your brother. And I know that doesn't feel good. I know that doesn't feel good. And I'm sorry that you have to experience that sometimes at school. I didn't know that for a fact. I was just making some assumptions. Yeah, throw it out there. Yeah. I was making some assumptions based on my own experience of, of being a 13-year-old and et cetera. And she started to tear up and just cracked open just a little bit. Had I approached it the way that I initially wanted to as a parent and asked to protect the smaller kid, my 10-year-old, then I would have been doing the same thing that she was doing. I would be tearing her down for tearing him down. Parenting isn't easy, but I think it's also important to remember that being a kid isn't easy either. And especially like we as adults can really relate. Like when we do go to the office to work from 8.30 to 6 or more, just look at our day and how many times that we kind of have to fizzle and regroup and reignite and they are bombarded. No one is risking their getting fired from middle school. They can behave any way they want. And which brings me, you were asking for tips. Along with the self-esteem and the confidence input, there's got to be physical rest. Physical needs need to be met too. In my family, we eat breakfast, like two eggs or a bowl of cereal, sometimes two eggs and a bowl of cereal. Mm-hmm. In the lunch is a sub sandwich three different types of fruit, a granola bar and a bottle of water. There's like so much food. My kids almost eat more food in a school day than if they have a day off from school. But that is not the norm. My daughter's friends notice. And if they're, I said, if ever they're hungry, share, please. But she says, kids come to school, 90% of them come without eating breakfast. A good 80% of them come with less than six hours of sleep the night before. If they eat lunch at school, it's usually zero nutrition, usually only the fun foods. Don't get me started on probably yeah. school lunches. You know, that's that's a whole nother, I'm, I'm very food forward. But just before you deal with the behavior and demeanor of a child, ask a couple of physical questions too. Have you eaten today? Yeah. What have you eaten? Is it 90% sugar? Because <laughs> sugar, study after study shows, it's like a drug. You go up and then you go down lower than where you ever started. And it's like there's sugar in everything. And so we as parents, we are really combating that change in today's world as well with the sheer amount of sugar that's being put into every single, you can't find bacon. I found one type of bacon without sugar in it. Everything's had added sugar to it. So here are these kids who are going and teens and tweens really need 10 to 12 hours of sleep mm-hmm. per night mm-hmm. to be their best. But with the electronics in the bedroom, the easier just to let them be teens. That's my third tip. Don't group your teens and tweens into teens and tweens. This mm-hmm. is child. If you're a teacher, this is your student. It's not your class. This is your student Bill, Mary, Bob, just one person at a time. Even in a crowd, you can't talk to a crowd. You have to deal with one person at a time. Great point there. And I think it's also important to remember the old adage really holds true that many times parents will live in such a way that they expect their kids to do as they say, not as they do. But it really is uh, behavior that teaches. It's our modeling that teaches. And so as parents, are we getting enough sleep? Are we eating healthily? Are we 
asking our kids to have a healthy relationship with technology, say phones and other electronics, and yet picking up our phone every time a beep goes off at the dinner table, but not expecting them not to do that. And so I think modeling the behavior is so important because at the end of the day, even though there are our children, we can't change them. They're still human beings who have choices. We can limit them, but that doesn't change anything. That just alters the behavior temporarily. And so what we can do is provide examples, model the behavior we want to see. And that's tough. Here's a good question as parents for us to ask ourselves, if my child ate the way that I do, If my child slept the way that I sleep, if my child interacted with technology the way that I do, would I be okay with that? Because many times as parents, as adults, we don't treat ourselves with the same care that we would treat our own children. Isn't that interesting that as grownups, we can also have room to grow in how and the kindness we show ourselves. I think that's one of the things that hinders parents from dealing with their children Because children are honest, for you to hold them to a standard that you're not living, as a single person prior to being married, I had two teens live with me. But I was a single woman in New York City at the time. I thought, I'm a good 12 to 15 years older than these girls living with me. Of course, I'm going to lead the way. And I took real responsibility and loved them and took care of them. But they were in charge of their food and they were living in New York on their own and I was just kind of a safe haven for them with parental permission, of Mm -hmm. course. But when things went awry with roommates, as roommates often do, they would sit me down and say, this is how it can make the house better. But that is something that will hinder parents from really going after the right way to discipline their kids. And you said the word limit with electronics instead of limiting them. One thing that I have found really effective and encouraging is asking them, like, what have you been watching on YouTube? And not searching when they're not home and checking and acting like they're a criminal trying to get away because that's all a mindset. Mm -hmm. But if you are genuinely interested and you genuinely share what you're watching, that it just opens a relationship between you and teens and tweens do know the right thing. And if you give them the opportunity, if you ask them, what do you think you could have done with that time instead? What did you gain from it? But sometimes they need chill time. Sometimes they need decompressed time. And I'm all for that because I know I couldn't withstand the verbal abuse, even if it's not coming directly at your particular teen. They're seeing it go towards others and they're feeling powerless. Yeah, yeah. They're seeing people harmed, hurt, fought with, abused, bullied, stolen from, ridiculed, and they might not be the target even, but they are feeling powerless and that affects their self-esteem. Absolutely. There's a residue that we can sometimes become desensitized to as grown-ups because teens and tweens haven't learned how to guard themselves, to protect themselves, to navigate through the world in the ways that we have. You see the effects. The effects are obvious sooner, but it doesn't mean the effects are any greater or worse for grown-ups. Again, even though I'm desensitized in terms of being able to notice emotional shifts sometimes with, say, the news, I feel the difference, if I'm honest with myself, when I watch the news and when I don't, in terms of 
how my own emotional state shifts. I feel the difference when I'm in a conversation with somebody who demeans other people or who gossips about someone else. I feel the difference for myself if I'm in touch with myself and honest with myself. Mm -hmm. And these are shifts that are more obvious in our teens and tweens because they haven't learned to hide it. But I think we're all affected by what we surround ourselves with and as we navigate through the world. Along those same lines, if a teen doesn't seem to be happy, that's hard to watch as a parent. What can we do or is there anything that we can do when our teen is just not happy? The thing about being a friend, I think of the saying, a friend loves at all times. Mm-hmm. And asking, like letting your teen be alone when you know in your heart that they're sad. Mm-hmm. It's like they might say no, but with everything in marketing and sales, the reason why marketing and sales is so invasive to people is like they get hit with the message again and again and again. Okay, so we're the parent. We have a love message that we want to sell. We want to sell them on connection. We want to sell them on love. We want to sell them on being a part of a family and Mm -hmm. not feeling alone. So you want to play a game of cards? You hardly ever hear that nowadays. It's like you hardly hear, do you want to play some cards? Mm -hmm. In our family, we have Spot It and Scrabble Slam and Apples to Apples still still remains, even though it's a kid kid game, but they might say no. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Then knock on the door. You need a bottle of water? I got a bottle of water. You keep that connection. And then you ask him again, say, can you help me do something? No, I don't want to. A good salesperson is going to hear no a couple of times before they hear a yes, but just go in prepped a couple of strategies. And one of them is going to click. I'm going to make cookies. You want to make cookies with me? Whether it's a boy or a girl, I want to emphasize that. Mm -hmm. Whether it's a boy or a girl, you want to make cookies with me? I don't know a teen alive who has ever said no to this. (laughs) Ever. Gosh, I think that's such a, some really important points that you made there that it's important to allow people to have their space but to continuously reassure them that you are there, that you haven't gone anywhere, and that you support them in having their space and throwing out ideas so that they know you're waiting there. Especially love the idea of helping with something. Maybe not in the heat of the moment. Maybe they do need some time. But as things start to calm down, as they start to sync back up with themselves, affirming that you are there and waiting, I think, is so powerful and so important. Well, have you ever been asked to do something and your instant response is like, oh, no, you want this? No, thank you. You know, you just kind of like, it's an automatic mm-hmm. response to say no. You want this sample in a store? No. And then you walk away and like, mm, you know, I could have really used that sample brownie. You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, but it's hard for you to turn back and go, you know what? I changed my mind. I really do want that brownie. So if you get offered again, you get an opportunity. With this point, you're going to catch your teens in a lie. So when you find out that a lie has happened, mm-hmm. You go and you realize it's just a lie. You got to understand. It's like you're there to help them feel right about themselves. Because how do you feel when you're carrying a lie inside of you? It takes an extreme amount of courage, humility to like fess up. So you've got your teen in a line and you need to go talk about it. Mm-hmm. Okay, number one, that takes courage on the parents. Number two, if it's something that makes you anger, you got to get through your anger before you go talk to them about the line. You go talk to them and you say, okay, I found out this. Were you going to tell me about it? 
Can we talk about it now? Can we talk about it later? If they say, no, I don't want to talk about it now. Okay, I just want you to know I've already forgiven the lie, but I want you to know that this is the span of time that I'm in the forgiveness mode. So mm-hmm. think about any other lies that you've told me. This is your grace period <laughs> right here. And open the door for mm-hmm. them to go like, I didn't do my homework on Thursday or something bigger. Mm-hmm. You just give them, when you catch them in one thing, open the door for forgiveness of all things. That's so important. If someone wants to work with you, you're located in North Carolina, but you work with people all over the world. So if someone wants to work with you, how do they get in touch with you? I have a website. It's called clearcutdirection.com. You can email me through the website or leah at clearcutdirection.com will come directly to me. That's awesome. Well, good luck with everything and and keep me posted, please. Great. If anything in this episode resonated with you, take a moment to subscribe and then share it with just one person. It's our mission to make the world a happier place. One insight, one shift, one share at the time. Just one button click from you might be the very thing that helps someone else's life click into place. Until next time. Remember, if you'd like more tips on this topic, then go to the link posted in the description of this broadcast.